You are listening to the Equip Podcast. This weekly course seeks to equip our church, and we pray it can help you as well. Check out more resources at rockycreek.church. Uh, just for a brief moment, I want to ask if you could turn to Proverbs chapter 3. Uh, tonight we're going to be talking about um, ministry longevity, uh, biblical faithfulness. We're going to be talking about stewardship, all those wonderful things that can be so important for us to talk about and yet sometimes often neglected. So in two areas we're going to be talking for us tonight. Number one is what does this mean for you personally financially and as you think long term about your future are you prepared for it and number two what happens when God's people collectively come together to be able to do more than they can than they could if they were to try on their own in Philippians chapter 3 uh, probably the the most uh, the verses in Proverbs I said Philippians Proverbs 3 my bad uh, Proverbs 3 they're the, the most famous of all or Proverbs 3 5 and 6 some of you even memorize it trust in the Lord with how much of your heart all of your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. And how many of your ways? All your ways acknowledge him and he will make your uh, straight your path. And so this is a trusting the Lord with all of our heart, acknowledging him in all of our ways, not just some of our heart or some of our ways. It says, don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord, turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones, especially when it comes to finances. How often do we make decisions that we think are wise in our own eyes and God says, actually it's not, Okay. Uh, what you may think is wise and what God thinks is wise, if it's different, I can promise you this. Um, he's the one who's wise. He's the one who's right. And we've got to make sure that we've gotten a place where we are surrendering ourselves to him. And then in verse 9, it says, honor the Lord with your what? Wealth. Wealth, right? And with the first fruits of all your produce, then your barns be filled with plenty and your vats be bursting with wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof, for the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father of the son in whom he delights. To honor the Lord with our wealth is something that is so counterintuitive to how we want to because we think we've made money and we want to keep it for ourselves. But as a 15-year-old um, with cash, I did not make wise decisions. As a 41-year-old man with cash, sometimes I don't make wise decisions at every aspect of our life. Sometimes we have to be remembering that it's not just to do good with our wealth. We want to honor the Lord with our wealth. Whether it's a little or a lot doesn't really have any bearing on the issue. With what you have, are you honoring the Lord with it? And so that's why we want to give uh, this church family an opportunity tonight to be able to truly understand uh, what this is. So we're playing tag team a little bit here with different folks. I'm going to ask Tommy Warren to come up and speak a little bit about the process of what we've been as a church. And what does this mean, especially when it comes down to that honor the Lord with your wealth? What does that look like as individuals, but also as a church family? Appreciate y'all being here tonight. Um, this has been literally a multi-year process. Uh, I went back to some notes and I forgot when we first met, but I had some notes from January 2020 where we started talking and we were like, let's really get moving. And then February and March, something happened that kind of changed all of our plans. And then it was tough getting back excited and getting back into this, but we're coming to the end of uh, a first session of getting approval and moving forward with a living a legacy giving plan and then after that we can start and we'll talk about next steps um, I love sports and so I decided I always think in terms of analogies and so I thought I'd give one here of about talking about what is a legacy so this year college baseball 
University of Tennessee had an incredible year. They won 88% of their regular season ball games, which in a high level of baseball is just unheard of. You, you might say, well, they played easy competition. They played in the Southeastern Conference, generally thought to be the toughest college baseball conference. They won 83% of their games there, just dominated. They won the regular season of the SEC. And just to show how well balanced they are, in the whole country, they led the nation in runs scored, home runs, and slugging percentage. You think, okay, they outscored everybody. For those of you who know baseball, their pitchers also led the nation in earned run average. So on both sides of the diamond, offense and defense, they were overwhelming. So they were uh, regular season champions in the SEC, went through the SEC tournament, went under through, undefeated through it. And then we, in the, similar to basketball, March Madness, the NCAA has a 64-team baseball tournament to determine the eventual national championship. Every team out of that 64, except for one, is going to lose their last game. The team that doesn't, that wins their last game is the national champion. Well, Tennessee was the number one seed and expected to go through. And in the middle of May, late May, there were a lot of discussions of is Tennessee the best college baseball team of all time? So then we'll transition to Ole Miss. Ole Miss started the year number one in the country. And then just suffice it to say, ran into some injuries, some problems, and struggled for the rest of the year. Their record in the SEC was less than 500. They lost more games than they won. They were one of the last teams to even make it to the SEC tournament, and they lost their first game in it. They thought their season was over, but when the NCAA came out with the pairings, they, no one knows exactly which, but they were one of the last four teams to get into the tournament, which means they were playing higher-seeded teams throughout the entire tournament at their home parks. You might have an idea where this is going since I'm talking about it at all. Tennessee, one of the best teams ever, didn't even make it to the College World Series. They were knocked out in the second round, so they didn't even get to make it to the final eight teams. Ole Miss got hot, went through the whole tournament, and eventually were crowned national champions. So when you think about the legacy of these two teams, no matter what they did in the regular season, Ole Miss legacy will always be 2022 NCAA champions. I don't know what Tennessee's legacy will be. I've heard some discussion that it might be the best team ever not to make the World Series. Not exactly the legacy you want, but the legacy nonetheless. So tonight we're going to spend a few minutes talking about legacy giving. I'm not going to bore you with the whole process of what we've been through. But to kind of get you thinking about what kind of a legacy do I want to leave? We are all going to leave a legacy. Casting Crowns has a, has a song out, it's a few years old, called Only Jesus. And one of the lines was, I don't want to leave a legacy. I don't care if they remember me. Yeah. Well, I would respectfully disagree with that. The story is, I agree, it's not about fame and fortune and what you earned and 
Travis has talked about that a couple of weeks ago that we can't take it with us. But it's about how we do want to have a legacy and we want to be remembered by our family and our friends and our church. So some of those things are what we're going to be talking about tonight of leaving a good legacy, which is just not the last thing you do, but the cumulative accumulation of all the body of work, which is kind of a sports term, but the things you have done and uh, the legacy that you leave for your family and for your church. So with that introduction, I'm going to introduce Jackie Wagner. She works for the South Carolina Baptist Foundation and has assisted us greatly through this process. So I'm going to just turn it over to her, let her talk about what she does and what the foundation does and how they're going to help us. lose a battery. Oh my goodness gracious. Good evening everybody and I'm glad to be here and um, legacy giving is something that that we talk a lot about at the Baptist Foundation of South Carolina and as Travis said whether you're rich or, or poor um, whatever your your um, status is in life you all have an opportunity at the end of your life to do something with what God has blessed you with. Statistics will tell you, and these aren't church statistics, these are statistics from anywhere that you, Forbes magazine, anybody that talks about wealth says that in the next couple of decades, 30 to $68 trillion, with a T, is gonna pass from one generation to another. Now, there are a lot of people that are waiting for mom and daddy to go home. And, um, and um, they don't know where home might be, but they just, uh, they're, they're, they're hearing those statistics. Uh, that's, that's, people are, are, are knowing that there is inheritance in futures for a lot of people. 30 to $68 trillion. I'm on the back end of the baby boomer. I may not look like it, like it, but I am. My birthday's 1959, so I'll be 63 this year. Uh, but this baby boomer generation has accumulated and amassed a lot of wealth over the last several years. You know, we're self-made people. We work hard and we've amassed this wealth. And you know what? When you watch TV, what do they say? You deserve this. You deserve the best life. You deserve this. You deserve that. You know what? God has really blessed this nation. And whether you have a lot or a little, you have a lot more than most people in the world. You have opportunities that people in this world don't have. And whether you have a little or a lot, Americans are much richer than most of the rest of the world. And there are Americans that have amassed a lot of wealth and don't realize it. 30 to $68 trillion being passed from one generation to the next. So, where did we get it? The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. God has put us here in this country, in a very rich country, with many opportunities at this time in history. And we don't always ask why. Why God, why did you not put me in a, in a hut somewhere, over in a third world country? God, you put me here in America. And may we may not think we have so much, but boy, we are blessed and rich. 
And I believe when I stand before my Lord in heaven, and he's going to say, Jackie, it's not you worked hard and you built yourself and you did all this. I put you here. I gave you the parents that taught you a work ethic. I gave you the opportunities that you had along the way. Now, what did you do with it? That's a question that we often don't ask. Now, in church, we do a lot of things in regards to money. We pass that plate. Now we have online giving. And those are good things. And they teach us some principles. And we learn about the tithe. And those are good principles. But in this world, generosity, God owning it all, it's not about me. It's about him. And what he's giving me the opportunity to do with it, that's what's important. And, and one of the places that people don't go to when they talk about finances is the church. In fact, we, we sometimes shy away from talking about money. It is wonderful that churches offer things that, that help people to learn to get out of debt and learn to manage their money. That is wonderful. We also have a generation in churches that have money and don't know what to do with it and don't know how to manage that. I was telling Tommy and the group, my, my father-in-law passed away about a year and a half ago, and my mother-in-law, she really thought she was going to be destitute. And I went, Mildred, no, you're, you're quite all right. She had no clue what she had. She had no clue what to do with it, and it's scaring her to death. She has no clue, and she's 81 years old. And my husband's an only child, and he's like, Mom, we don't want your money. But there's some opportunities here that, that as we're talking to her, but she's all her life, she's, she's given this tithe, and she's learned about, about what we're supposed to do, but hasn't always learned about being generous. So when, when we're talking about a legacy ministry in a church, and I know that you've been hearing the Proverbs and they've been preached very well, and so I feel very humble because Travis even stood here and I listened to your sermons, so, um, and, and he's awesome. But we need to be talking about something that is covered in the Bible more than heaven and hell itself, and that's about biblical finances and money. Now, Jesus was not a fundraiser. And in this world, that 30 to $68 trillion has gotten a lot of attention. A lot of attention. Many of you get mail knowing that there's a lot of attention to that 38 to $68 trillion. Jesus wasn't a fundraiser. But Jesus talked a lot about money. Why? Because he realized that our treasure had a great opportunity to grab a hold of our hearts. So why am I here? Why is a 63-year-old woman driving up from Columbia to see y'all tonight? I, I like your church and I like your people. I work for the Baptist Foundation. Just quickly, if you don't know who we are or what we are, we're just a part of the South Carolina Baptist Convention, just like North Greenville University or Anderson or Charleston University. We're an institution. We've been around for a long time, almost 75 years. 
And, and our purpose statement says we help God's people fund the Great Commission. Now, that does not mean the Great Commission will get done with just funding, but it does mean that the Great Commission tells us to, to teach and to baptize and to go and to tell. And part of that, we can use our finances as part of discipleship to help, to be able to, to undergird our churches to teach and to go and to tell. And that we've got opportunity through, the, through what God has given us to be able to do that. And so we want every South Carolina Baptist to prayerfully steward their resources as an act of worship. Stewardship is worship. It's not about paying your way into heaven. It's not about giving the minimum. It's not about duty. It's about worship. It's about saying, God, you own the next breath that I have. You own it all. And when I can look and say, God, it belongs to you, it's a game changer. Because it changes my whole perspective on life. That I know he holds me in the palm of his hands and I'm dependent on him and not on me. Because the world tells you to depend on you. The world tells you you deserve everything. You did it. Mm -mm. We're dependent on God. As believers in Jesus Christ, we're dependent on God. He gives us every opportunity. So we work with churches and, and, and individuals even on, on um, thinking about their legacies. And we provide legacy ministry churches, we, uh, services. We, uh, we, we want to be known for redemptive investing, and that's part of what we do is we invest funds that, that are long-term legacy funds. And when we say redemptive, that means we don't invest things that... that we don't feel that would be honoring to God, but we do also seek out investments in some kingdom, um, different types of, of investments, such as Christian music and such as, as um, companies that invest in companies that have Christian values. So we do a lot of that. We want to always be true to the Bible in our teaching. And even when we're teaching about money, to be true to what God says and what Jesus taught about money. And then we always want to serve well. So what's a legacy giving ministry? As I said, what does this mean? A legacy giving ministry is a ministry in which the church can begin to talk and have conversations about financial things and about generosity and about other things that people can come to the church. Where does somebody go when they need a will? They go to their attorney, right? So the attorney going to ask them about their church and ask them about what, what kind of Christian stewardship they want? Probably not. They're going to say, what do you want to do? And you're going to say, I'll leave it to my kids. People come to me all the time and say, I need a will. I say, no, you don't. You need a plan. A will's just a document. People need to hear from the church about what God says about stewardship. And it's not about giving money. It's about God's ownership in the heart. So a legacy ministry gives us the opportunity to, first of all, impact ministry of this church today and tomorrow. And through that, your church has a group that has said, okay, these are priorities that we feel like beyond the budget, that as people are inclined to give legacy gifts, 
which typically are estate gifts, but we'll talk about some other ways to give that people have never thought about, but things that this church is doing that are unique to this church and the way that this church can impact the community around you and the world and the way that this church can pour into the next generation. Some of you have been here your whole life almost, I've just learned. This church has been around almost 200 years. You've got a cemetery that's, that's full. Um, not full totally, but it's, it's, there are a lot of them out there. So you think about the legacies that this church today is standing on because people in the past, a generation they did not know, but they poured into the future of this church. You had the opportunity to do that. And when we, we gather this group, one of the things that we talk about is having a plan because so often people want to know, I want to know what's going to happen if I'm going give, to give a gift to this church. Who's going to manage it and what's going to happen with it and who's going to take care of it? So it gives us an opportunity to teach and, and, and help people to understand what this giving will do beyond the budget, but to be able to, and, and Tommy's going to go over what those things are, and, and it's in the materials that you have. It gives you an opportunity, and us an opportunity to teach about God's ownership and how God has blessed us, to teach about estate and legacy plan basics, and just to help people to understand and learn, and learn that from a church perspective and not from the mail, because they're getting it in the mail to grow people in their stewardship and help them to see stewardship beyond just 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 my tithe or, or, or whatever my requirement is, but that generosity is so much more and that God blesses us through our generosity. That doesn't mean if you give, he's going to give you $10 more, but it means God blesses us as we grow in our generosity and understand that he owns it all and that he is our provider. And then to engage people, to participate, and, and, and to share stories of, of what these funds can do and how they're impacting the community. So these are the things that happen in a legacy ministry. We want people to understand that in a church, people are, are, are just in life, our view as Christians of money, as, excuse me, our view of money as Christians is different than the world's view. The world views money so much differently. Money in the world is your key to happiness. That's not what the Bible says. Our relationship with Jesus Christ is the key to happiness. This world is not all there is. Our home is there. I tell people all the time, I love to talk about dying and money, and they think I'm crazy. Um, and I talk to a lot of people about dying and money. But money is, is God's provision for me, and he gives me the opportunity through, through money um, to, to, to do things that, that I can't do on my own. And dying, that's our home. That's our home. That's our goal. So, we're going to talk a little bit about a biblical view of money, just some basics, and I know that, that you've heard some of this, but first of all, that God owns it all. Psalm 24, 1 says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. He owns it all. There is nothing that I own, and there is nothing I've taken with me. 
God resources us. In Deuteronomy 8, we see that, that in, in the law it says, but remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. He gives me the ability to produce wealth. He gives me the ability to work, and he gives me my gifts and talents. God gives us responsibility to steward well. Not only in Malachi 3.10 where it says bring the whole, he teaches about stewardship, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, test me in this, and I'll show you, I will provide. But even back to Genesis 2 where, where he teaches Adam stewards well and, and he works Money reveals our priorities. You've probably done this um, parable in the last couple of weeks in Luke 12 about the bigger barns and the man that just says, I'll just amass more and I'll just build bigger barns and put more stuff in it. And Jesus says, he's a fool. He's going to die tonight. And I love at the end of that parable, if you go to the next, and Jesus said, and that's why I say, don't worry about what you eat or drink or what you're wearing or all those things. I, I will provide for you. Money's a tool for good in God's kingdom. The Good Samaritan in Luke 10 used funds to help someone who was in great need, and he put him up, and he used his own money to do that. Money can stand in, our, in the way of our desire for Christ. In Luke 18, the rich young ruler came to Jesus, and he said, what do I need to do? He was a rich young ruler. He said, I follow the law, which means, you know what? He was a giver. He gave. He gave to the church. What did Jesus tell him to do? Give all your money to the poor. Even though this man was following the law and he was given and he was doing all the right things, even giving his money to the church, Jesus said, but money's got your heart. Money's got your heart. And it can stand in the way for our desire for Christ. And, and money can pull us away. And as we're even thinking about our legacy and those that have amassed wealth and are passing that wealth, we need to think about that as, as we're passing that wealth away. 2 Corinthians 8 to 9, there's, there's so many things about the Macedonian church. A poor church. They were poor. And yet they give us so much of an example of generosity. Generosity is not related to wealth or income. These people out of their poverty gave and they had such joy in giving because they knew that they were able to help other believers in Christ Jesus. It was personal to them. It was joyful to them. And they knew that everything they had was enabled by God. 2 Corinthians 9, says, 7 says, each person must decide in their heart what to give. It's not forced. God does not say, if you don't give this, 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 and this, then I'm going to make your life miserable. God says, you have the choice. I'm giving you the opportunity to be a steward. So, this is what the Bible teaches about stewardship and so much more and about generosity. It's related to the heart. It's not a fundraising thing. It's all related to our heart and our recognizing God as the owner. The world teaches a different story. They're going to tell you, we need your money. We need you. You're going to be, you're going to be powerful and feel better, and, 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 and we need what you have, what you've, you've earned yourself. Now, are Americans charitable? Well, we know a lot about giving. Americans gave about $485 billion to charity last year. It's a lot of money. About $327 billion of those dollars last year came from individuals. The other came from companies and foundations. 
and about nine and a half percent or about $46 billion came from estates, about 10%. Charities realize that Americans are charitable and they also realize that estate giving is, is becoming something that, that they're talking a whole lot more about. How many of you have gotten a, something in the mail and said, have you remembered us in your estate plan? There are a lot of charitable options. And religious organizations you see that is at the top, that doesn't necessarily mean Christian organizations, it just means religious organizations. And that's not just churches, there are about 370,000 churches, but it's religious organizations such as the foundation would be considered a religious organization, Connie Maxwell Children's Home would be considered a religious organization, those kinds of things if, if we're operating under the auspices of the convention. Education, colleges and universities, human services, grant-making foundations, um, health services, arts and culture, you can see that there are a lot of charities out there. Over one and a half million charities are out there today. There are a lot of people competing for your money. The average giver in a church gives 2.5%. That's the average. That means you have zeros and you have people giving a lot more than the top. The Great Depression, the average giver gave 3.3%. We're much less generous in our churches than we used to be because the world is telling us, you deserve this, you deserve this. In fact, that 28%, which religious organizations meeting every week and that, you would expect that to be highest, but uh, it's gone down. In fact, giving to religion between 1990 and 2015 has dropped 50%. 50%. Used to be well above 30% was the top, and, and it's below that now. So there's a lots of opportunities for people to give to a lot of places. Now, I'm not saying don't give to Clemson or don't give to Carolina or don't give to, to North Greenville or don't give to Connie Maxwell Children's Home because there are lots of things and places that are doing great work in this world, and we need to support them. But we also need to be talking about giving and this kind of giving through the church. And there are lots of giving opportunities that people are hearing about in the mail um, because those traditional gifts are changing. IRAs, if people have IRAs um, that, are, that are retirement funds, they have a required amount they need to take out every year when they're over 72 years old. There's opportunities for giving in that that are tax efficient. Investments. We have people that are scared to death. They've had an investment since 1960, and it's, they're holding on to it because they don't know what to do with it, and they hear they have to pay tax on it. Donor-advised funds are funds that have become very popular, and a lot of our um, foundations, community foundations, are talking about it. A lot of people have real estate that they've had a family vacation home that nobody wants to use anymore. Um, life payment gifts. We're hearing about things called charitable gift annuities or charitable remainder trust. I'm not going to go into all of those. We can talk about those later. But just the point is that people are getting mail about all these things and they don't really know what they are and they're, 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 they're trying to figure this out and, and we need to understand in the church what these things are as well. And then estate gifts. I've got a little video. I'm not quite sure if we're going to hear uh, the, um, the sound, but uh, we'll figure it out. Travis is multi-talented. And uh, try, it. try it. Okay, I think I just hit the click. Yeah. 
not expect to spend 70 to 80 years living on earth. That's truly not very long compared to the timeline of eternity. And as Christians, we know we are called to make the most of our time to reach people for Christ. But have you ever thought about what kind of Christian legacy you will leave behind for your family and future generations? At times, we can get a little off track, chasing after the things of this world, make more money, buy more stuff, and be more comfortable. We worked hard for it, so we think it's all ours. But is that what the Bible teaches us? Scripture like Psalm 24.1 make it very clear that God is the creator of everything and the owner of everything. But the story does not stop there. In the book of Matthew, Jesus commands us to wisely use everything he has given to us. When we understand that everything belongs to God and that we are asked to manage it for his glory, ownership ends and legacy giving begins. We see all that we have as gifts, not possessions. We realize we are managers, not owners. So every way we spend our money, use our time, deploy our talents is full of powerful kingdom-growing potential. What if everyone started looking at everything they have as belonging to God and not themselves? How could that impact the church? How could that impact the world? For most of us, the biggest opportunity we have to be good managers of what God has entrusted to us comes when we die. But we can prepare for that moment today. Today, we can choose to make a legacy-giving plan that honors not only our family, but also the one who gave it all to us in the first place. Maybe God is calling you to continue giving to your church or a ministry you love, serve, and support, even after you leave this earth, all to be used by Him to reach a world that desperately needs Christ. What would happen if we loosen our grip on the things of this world and learn to give back to God with an open hand, both during and beyond our lifetime? But how do you do this? where do you start? That's where we can help. We can help you create a legacy giving plan that lives well beyond your life here on earth. And what is the result? The result of all of this is Christians who are choosing to use their time, passions, and money for the focus on God. Through legacy giving, Christians are sowing seeds that will bear real kingdom fruit and have an impact to eternity. So everybody needs to prayerfully consider how God has blessed them and what they want to do with it. Now here at the Baptist Foundation, we just provide help with those services and, and um, we also consult and, and, and just help, help to, in fact, I was telling Tommy about a, another service that's available, um, just to understand what resources are available. But regardless of what resource that you, you use, everybody needs planning. And this is what planning includes. Everybody, we usually start thinking about it when, we're, when we've got to. Something happens or we turn 60 and all of a sudden we think about retirement and go, you know, I need to probably start thinking about this. This is what a legacy plan includes. And like I said, most people say, I need a will. And I'm like, no, you need a plan. You need a plan. First thing is your personal assessment. That personal assessment, first of all, is a financial assessment. What does my big jar look like? Now you've got two jars there. One represents 9% and one represents 91%. Statistics say that the average American lives on 9% of what they own. So that other 91% is stuff that's gonna be passed when they die, so you are worth more dead than alive. So, your daughter-in-law who's gonna spend it all, you need to start thinking about that. So, uh, 
we need to understand what we have. And so many people do not know what they have. They think I'm living on a fixed income, but that fixed income is coming from this retirement pocket that looks like this, and they don't even realize they've, they've got it. And you know, retirement plans are not made so that it dwindles down in the last breath. That's the last penny, is it? No, it's supposed to be sustained and goes on. And so a lot of people retire and the 10 years later, they got more money in their retirement plan than they did to start with. It happens all the time. We need to understand what's in this jar because once you understand what you have, then you can understand, oh my goodness, this is how it's gonna impact my family. And I need to think about my family and loved ones because there are those that cannot manage this or there are those that if they do this, or like I said, my daughter-in-law will spend it all and it'll be gone. So we need to think about how we're going to pass that to our loved ones. And there's a lot of options in that. You don't have to give it all to them at one time. But there's also some things in what you have, and especially with retirement funds, that they have to take it in a quicker time and they're gonna pay taxes on it. So we've got to know those things. We gotta know what I ha we have. We gotta think about our priorities, the things that are important to us. What's important to me that I wanna share? And even in that priorities, what's important to me to share with my children? We often tell people, write letters and tell them today that you can give to them after you pass to tell them things that you want them to know and, and know about your life. But other things that are important priorities, even where you're gonna be buried. My boss, Nathan, is, uh, he's, he's young and he's, he's, he and his wife went through planning and they said, well, where are you gonna be buried? And she said, well, right by my parents in Alabama. Well, they've been married about 15 years and that's the first time he heard it. He didn't know he's gonna be buried in Alabama. But that was a conversation they needed to have. You know, we're not gonna be cremated. We're right there in, in, in Fairlawn, Alabama. That's where we're going. Okay, um, but those are things we need to think about. What are our priorities and what are our priorities and, 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 and what are some things and where, where do I give them and who do I give them to? Because sometimes little things are, are more important and can cause more of a, an issue than, than a big old pile of money. Um, jewelry and, and certain things. And then what are my charitable desires? God, am I spending time in prayer saying, why did you bless me and what do you want me to do? What have you laid on my heart? How do you want me to, 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 to use what you've given me to impact this church and to impact other ministries? So after you've done this personal assessment, and that's part of planning, then you do end-of-life planning. What is that? That's planning for when you're still alive, but you need help. You might need somebody that's going to manage your finances. You might need somebody that's going to manage your health. You are going. You need to, to tell people what your priorities are as far as end-of-life and, and sustaining your life. That's part of your plan. And then afterlife planning. You need to determine who gets what and when and where and how, and there are lots of things that, that we need to think about. And communication is also part of that. That's when you get your documents executed, and that's when it's communicated. So just a, a quick um, Baptist Foundation provides you, you, this church is under no obligation to use the Baptist Foundation. This is just part of our ministry. This is how we serve our churches in the South Carolina Baptist Convention. And again, we talk to 
to churches and say there's other ways that you can do this and and we're we're we'll help to to figure out what those ways are and give you the pros and cons and, and what this might happen. We offer a planning service for anybody in the church. It's it's a company called Philanthicorp out of Colorado Springs, Colorado. They do planning over the phone and they do it at your leisure, at your time, and they send you a plan and that planning is done at no cost. That's just part of our service. So something that we do and provide for our churches, whether you need it or not. You may have somebody that you want to go talk to your, your, your planner about and we're gonna provide provide information that that your church can use to say if I want to leave something in my will to Rocky Creek Baptist Church and to their legacy fund this is the language you use you can use your attorney or there's an attorney referral service in this where you pay an attorney but um, it can be a reduced cost because we've already done your planning and then we resource churches help them with policies which you're going to see and we've talked about um, tonight and 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 the the fruits of that labor and teaching and coaching and, and providing resources and we also provide investment services if that's needed from the church but as we told this committee you can use anybody you want to we're just here as a resource we want to encourage people in our churches to think about generosity from a biblical um, perspective we want to encourage everyone in our churches to think about their legacy it's not what you leave to someone it's what you leave in someone and it's what you plan in in being able to share your story of how god provided for you and being able to share with others we want people to be well planned so that at the end of their lives that that they have less strife in their families and that they also can spend time in prayer and say god you bless me what do you want me to do with this? The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Um, Tommy's going to come next, I think, and talk a little bit about your specific church plan. And then um, we'll open it up for questions. Thank you, Jackie. Um, most of what I was going to talk about is in the handout. We emailed it out earlier. It's there in writing. So I'm going to trust that y'all can read it. And if you think of things later, uh, you can feel free, but it talks about the things that we have decided to be the points of emphasis, if you will, of where uh, the earnings and return will be. So I just want to summarize with a few things and then we'll have time for a couple of questions. Uh, I think Jackie's been very uh, pointed at we all need a plan. And I've heard statistics that I believe between the estimates are about 60 to 70 percent of all Americans have no estate plan whatsoever. And so we're going to be here to help with that. We're not attorneys, but we can, through these services, help you have a plan. Now, if you die without an estate plan, especially if you have children, what happens? The state will decide what happens to your children. They will decide who raises it. If you have older kids or whatever, they will make the choice. And you may or they may or may not be in accordance with your desires. So we all need to be thinking about that and having a plan. I remember when we did our first will, it's hard. And we had had our first child and I went to an attorney and I got the forms to fill out and I stuck them in my briefcase and I walked around with them for six months. And finally, Christy said, are we going to do something with those? And I said, yeah, eventually. And it's just, I was in my 30s. I didn't think I needed it. But 
you need to have a plan and so we're going to be there to step along with you. Uh, one point to make is this is all outside of your budget giving. So I think of the budget as coming from your salary, your earnings, the things that you give and in that uh, fact sheet I kind of talked about it. That's the checkbook of the church that's used for its day-to-day -day expenses, having its rainy day fund, those kind of things. Whereas I think of the legacy giving plan as more of the long-term savings. Church doesn't retire, but it's kind of like we would think of as our retirement and long-term goals. And so we want to try to build a permanent fund, but it is different. You've all heard about universities, I think, have been the best at this. And the endowments of some of the Ivy League schools are in the billions of dollars. And they just accumulate and accumulate. That's not the goal here. Yes, we want to have a permanent accumulation, but we want to constantly be using that money. We are different in those, many of those other funds in that they are building in perpetuity we are building seeing Jesus is coming back. And so there will be a balance of growth and in investments, having that fund growing, but using it on a regular continuing basis to continue to grow kingdom work. Um, one of the other things is, you know, we talk a lot about estate planning, but as Jackie mentioned, and we're kind of running out of time, you don't have to die for this to be an option. And so I have seen, and I can give my last example, is my dad passed away a few years ago. I'd had a, an aunt uh, who had passed away. And so my mom is sitting with more money than she thought she had. Now she's not wealthy, they live very frugally, but I've seen the joy of her for the last five or six years giving away money. You know, her required distributions from our IRA are 100% going to Christian charities. She's given everyone in her family some things and just the joy of being in that position to be able to do that because we worked with her and she has a plan. So our next steps as a church will be shortly, we'll be voting hopefully to adopt the legacy plan and then we'll be bringing more information to you, more educational stuff of ways to do it, hopefully some workshops maybe and those kind of things to get into more detail. So we are out of time, but real quick, are there any questions? Can you explain more what the vision is for the church? You said it's not budget, so you're going to have to decide on the budget. How are you going to, what's your thoughts for utilization? Okay, what we have done is in the documents, there are four areas that the funds will be used. And so based on some guidance from the foundation, they've recommended first we needed to have at least $100,000 before we start making distributions. At that point, we'll be making annual distributions that will go to one of four budget areas, uh, students, youth and children, properties, benevolence, I believe it. And they're in the document. So on an annual basis, the finance team will work with the foundation to determine an appropriate distribution that will come to the church, which will then be a supplement to the budget. And so one way to think about it, and I'm just gonna pick a number, we have $20,000.
that is in $20,000. We're going to assume the same budget giving comes in. That will be used for that one area, which allows 20000 to be used for other kingdom work. So it will be an ongoing thing. And that's why our goal is not to just keep building this, but to use it regularly while we're at the same time continuing to invest. So you want to get to $100,000, but then you're going to use more than the At some point, that's right. Our goal isn't to build a million-dollar war chest. And so it's if we were to have several large gifts, we would be using the earnings as well as some of those gifts to continue to use it because our goal isn't just to build a big number. Great question. Got a question. Yes, sir. Right. So I went through this process personally a couple years ago because um, one of the guys at the Lavis Foundation told me how much, how expensive it is to get your will redone and whatnot. Can y'all talk through the process because basically y'all set up a system for an individual or family. If they're going to set their will up and if there's a percentage that's given to say a charitable Baptist found organization, there's a significant cost that's just reduced to the whole process. Can y'all explain that? Jackie, you're the expert. Why don't you come up here? So. Okay. Um, the process is, um, if, if, you, if you want planning, we, uh, we offer a planning service, and, and it's just through a Christian company, and a lot of foundations use them in the IMB. And the process that Travis went through is uh, they work together with Travis and his wife, and that they, um, they have a series of phone calls, and they talk about, you know, what are your goals, and where are your children, and, and where are you, and, and let's look at your financial picture, and, and here's some options, and they send information back to them in writing. Um, to do the process, we want people to be charitable, of course. This isn't just if, if you're not charitable, but in that charitable portion, like if you leave $100 to charity, and a lot of people have a lot of things that are wonderful causes that they want to give to, and they should give to those um, if the Lord's laid it on their heart. I always say if the Lord's laid it on your heart. But of that, 20% of that charitable portion needs to go to a Baptist charity, like Rocky Creek Baptist Church is a Baptist charity. None of that has to come to the foundation. A lot of people think that. So that's part of that process. What happens in that process is you can use your own attorney, but the planning, if you go to an estate planner, you may pay $1,500, $2,500 for an estate planning attorney, um, those that specialize in that. Um, you can go to your attorney at the end, but you've already got your plan in place because attorneys work by um, time and so um, you you may it, it makes it better for you to go to your attorney or they have some network attorneys that say okay it's going to cost you this much to get this plan and that plan includes your will and it includes your power of attorney and your health care documents and all of that so did that answer your question yeah, absolutely so so for, for us instead of us spending twenty five hundred dollars on a lawyer to do all this we just personally put that if my wife and i if we pass away that we want funds to go to, it says our will, go to Baptist Foundation and identify where our membership is at death. And wherever we're a member of that and we die, there's a, a percentage that goes to that church automatically. And he's going to be a member here at death. Yeah, that's right. But just in case I get fired or somewhere, somewhere else, or whatever, like that, it would just automatically kick in so I don't have to do a will every time some life change happens. I can call the Baptist Foundation and say, hey, they just fired me at Rocky Creek. I'm now at Pebble Creek, whatever. I don't know. And, and now I'm at that church, and that's where I, I want it to go. And so once again, 
That saves our family hundreds and hundreds of dollars and also work with Christian people to help us figure out what we need to do. And let me add to that, because I, I didn't know that's where you were going, Travis, and that's a good point. Um, a lot of them recommend that there's a document that says, your, for your charitable portion, whoever that is, you know, it could be, we have somebody that has 20 charities on their portion. Send it to the foundation, and whatever you tell us to do with it, we do with it. So if you say, I want to give $100,000 to 20 charities, we get that $100,000, we look at those charities, and then we just write the checks. We don't, we don't charge a fee for that. Now, if you need it to be handled in another way or through a trust or stuff, we can manage that if you want us to. So, again, it's just a service. But it's a way that down the road, and we've had this happen a lot, somebody said, well, I had six charities and I wanted it this way, but now I've got five and I want to change it. They just call us and change the form. And then we just change the charities, but they don't have to change their will. So that saves from not having to go back to an attorney to change your will. So, thank Where you. Where do you make your money then? You don't charge? This is just something that we provide. We, we do have investment services. And so the foundation is a cooperative program institution of the convention. We do not take cooperative program money. We've been around since 1950. We've managed estate gifts and endowments. A lot of people will leave estate gifts to us. Most of the money we manage and that's about 170 million. Most of the money that we manage has been money that's earmarked for all kinds of ministries all over the world. And so we have a lot of endowed gifts, but we do charge management fees for money that we manage. And so, and what kind, for a church, like we manage four churches as well, it's 65 basis points or, or six and a half tenths of 1% of people aren't used to the basis points, which is a very low fee compared to an investment management. Endowments um, have to be managed per the law. And so there's a, um, a MIFA, which is um, a, a uniform, uniform Prudent Management of the Institutional Funds Act. But anyway, uh, we have to, you have to prudently manage in a, in a way for long term and to have a spending plan for long term. So we, we've been managing endowments for a long time. So, is that? Any other? Well, we've got a few minutes over, but we appreciate uh, your attention. If you have any more questions on the handout, I think we had the name of all the uh, those who were on the giving, the legacy giving team, and you'll continue to hear more as we move forward to a vote and then more education material to come. Thanks. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for this chance to come together to uh, learn a little bit more about an option for giving. And Father, as we've heard tonight, your word is full of references and you know how important money is to all of us as humans. And Father, I just thank you that you've given us uh, parables and guidelines and commandments as far as the use of our money, Lord. And I just pray, Father, that we would all be good stewards, that we would recognize that nothing that we have, not our money, not our homes, not our cars, not our health, nothing we have is anything we own or anything we've done, but it's all for us to be stewards over. And we just thank you for all you've blessed us with and just pray that you will uh, use this time, that you've used this time maybe to just spark some interest and help us to be better stewards of what you've given to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Equip Podcast. Make sure to check out rockycreek.church for complete notes and additional resources. 
You can also subscribe to this podcast and get weekly courses delivered to you. We hope to equip you for the work of the ministry.